And I think that first lightning bolt or thunder we heard was at 537. And about that same time, I got a phone call from one of our volunteers out at Checkpoint 5 who very quickly told me that it was hail, dark clouds, extremely windy. Welcome to Weathering the Run. No matter how far you're heading out to run, no matter the location or time of day you're out there, there's one thing you always have to deal with, and that's the weather. I'm Andrew Buckmichael, a meteorologist, and I love running. Sometimes the weather's perfect and you just want to keep going on forever. But other times, Mother Nature may take a turn for the worse and you're left to the elements. That's what we're here to do. Hear stories of the craziest weather some runners have experienced and what they may change if given a rerun. So lace up your shoes as we go along with them, weathering the run. What is up, everyone? I'm really excited for today's episode. A little bit of a different style today. Instead of just talking to one person, I'm going to break it up. We have two different interviews here that I put together. And the first one is with the race director for a race that I just ran. It's a 150 mile relay race, whether it's five or 10 person teams. And then in the second half of the episode, I have the team that I ran with. We talk about what it was like for all of us. We definitely had to weather the run with this. There was a lot of rain. I mean, there was torrential rain. There was a lightning delay at one point. And it was a definitely unique experience, and all of us that were part of the team definitely bonded over this. So again, this race is called the Buck 50. It's in Ohio around Chillicothe and the surrounding county area. You go through uh, three different state parks, and the, all the money that's raised goes to an amazing cause. There's been a handful of documentaries shot about the opioid epidemic around the Chillicothe area, and this money goes to drug-free programs of America for the youth in that community to stop the problem before it becomes a problem, basically. Amazing cause. The community buy-in for this event is phenomenal. So again, we're going to talk to the race director, Dave Huggins, first, and then we'll talk to the team coming up here in a little bit. Uh, we were kind of a ragtag team. We had to kind of piece together the team as we went along. We had a couple people drop out for injuries. So our team name was called the B Team. We had to basically roll with that once we had picked that out. Uh, however, that was basically the first initials of everybody from the initial team. Anyway, we didn't know each other before the race started, and we are bonded now from this race. So I'm excited to share this episode. So let's get right to the race director, Dave Huggins. Well, I'm very excited to have with us the race director for the Buck 50. This is an extremely unique race hosted right here in Ohio. So we have Dave Huggins joining us. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Buck? Doing awesome. So I'm excited to kind of talk with you. I mean, before the race started, I came up, gave you a quick fist bump right before our team got started. And I'm interested to kind of get your feedback of how this year went versus other years and give us the history, I guess, first of all, the history of the Buck 50. How did this come about? So I got into running back in probably 2012. And I was recruited to run on a relay race similar to the what the buck 50 has become but it was a 200 mile 12 person relay down in kentucky and as a guy who was a previous football player i fell in love with this team concept of you know i do my part you do your part you're up for two days um you're really on this adventure together and i just thought that was a neat concept so in 2015, when we came across this Drug-Free Clubs of America program and we needed to find a way to raise money for these kids, uh, this idea of a relay race really kind of came back to light as a way that through runner entry fees and sponsorships, we could support these kids on a long-term basis. So was 2015 the first year of the race? 
2015 is when the race started to be designed. So I think our first meeting was in September of 2015, and our first race was actually April 6th and 7th of 2017. So it took us about a year and a half to put the whole thing together. So how has the race evolved since then? Well, what I tell my race committee many times is, you know, we do this once a year. So at this point, after seven years, we've had seven practices because you put in all this work over these 12 months and you come up with these ideas and then you get to actually execute on race day and see what works or what doesn't. And so I really feel like here over the last couple two years, we've really got this thing dialed in. Uh, we understand how to start teams. We understand how to open and close checkpoints. Um, we understand how the traffic goes. We actually made um, an adjustment to leg three and four this year, which have pretty much always been in the same spot uh, on County Road 550. But it was, you know, it's kind of a dangerous area. So instead of working to make it safer, a dangerous area safe, we decided to just reroute the course. And that worked out great this year. Yeah, I did leg three, and I mean, it was, it was, it, we're going to get to that coming up. I was on leg three when the uh, the course got shut down because of the lightning, but it was, uh, it was kind of fun. I was out there on the bike path there, and I just, I never, ever run without a shirt. I'm a big guy, but it's just me out there on the bike path, a couple of other runners, and I took off my shirt and just blasted as fast as I could to get done, and it was, uh, it was a cool experience, and I guess... Kind of expand on that. When did you guys make the call to close the course and go with the lightning delay this year? So we've always had, you know, this has always been a concern. You've got people out, you know, in our case, from the beginning of the pack to the end of the pack is about 35 miles. So we're covering a a pretty large distance during the race as far as what weather might be. And so uh, we had that last group leave the starting line at 5.30. And, and as you well know, going into the whole weekend, we knew the weather was somewhat suspect and it looked like we were going to get some rain, maybe even some thunderstorms. So we were, you know, it was in the back of your mind. But but I am the um, ultimate optimist and always think it's always going to work out fine. You put the plans in place, but we're really not going to need those plans because it's going to be sunny and 65 the whole time. Right. So... You know, at 5.30, the last teams went off. It was kind of cloudy. And I think that first lightning bolt or thunder we heard was at 5.37. And I was like, okay, it's really here. This is something we're going to have to adjust. And about that same time, I got a phone call from one of our volunteers out at Checkpoint 5 at Adena High School, who very quickly told me that it was hail, dark clouds, extremely windy. So... You know, between those two things happening in about a one-minute period, it was super easy to make the call to say, we got to shut this thing down. And thankfully, this was the year we decided to implement these GPS trackers because, you know, we knew runners were on the course. They're spread out over this 35 miles. Um, There's five checkpoints. We knew they were between the starting line and checkpoint five. Um, But, of course, with a staggered start, they're all out in various distances between each checkpoint. So we were able to quickly bring up all these runners and see where they were. Now, somebody like yourself who's stuck in the middle of the bike path, it's kind of like no man's land. Um, But for anyone that was close to a roadway, you know, I'm on the radio talking to our route managers and I'm like, you know, we got this guy's going down Lyric Lane. They're about ready to turn left. 
And so we pretty quickly got everyone off the course and rounded up um, probably within 10 or 15 minutes, which, which I really applaud our team and their ability to respond. And certainly those GPS trackers that helped us even know where people were. Um, Is this the first year with the lightning delay like that? First year ever. Never. We've we've been lucky, and I'll use that term lucky. Um, every year we've had you know some heat. We've had cooler temperatures. We've had some rain, but uh, no lightning or anything as heavy as what we saw this year. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, you got runners spread out for thirty plus miles all across the course. Uh, have you guys done a debrief? Like, w- do you guys plan on keeping the same protocol for next year or following years, or is there any adjustments? Um, the one thing I think we didn't actually have it this year, and I'm not sure how we missed this. We've had a text system in the past where we could text everybody, and that's something we definitely need to bring back next year for a little bit quicker communication to the runners. Um, you know, I like to say we we did a, a good job of getting that information out, but I would always like to be better. Um, definitely the GPS trackers are coming back. That was invaluable for many reasons, uh, least to mention the, the weather delay. But we've never had that situation. Um, my mind very quickly, you know, the safety thing, okay, we get people in and they're safe. But then all of a sudden I'm starting to think about the timing of the event and how do we start ranking teams when this thing is all over. And right. uh, that really had me spinning for a good while. Um, thankfully, the race is two days, so I didn't have to make a judgment call in five minutes um, and as the race progressed, I feel like we came up with a pretty good decision that ultimately uh, gave respectability to everyone's running, where they were, how they finished, and uh, it, it turned out fine. And granted, I mean, we're out there running for 150 miles. Is this, you mentioned some of the other years have had rain, is this the wettest event that you've had? Without question. Like, <laughs> When it, you know, we, we got back on the course there about seven o'clock. I was thankful for that to happen. Uh, really relatively quick, you know, when you think about how weather sometimes comes through. And, you know, we knew some more weather was on the horizon. Uh, that was very visible on the radar. But then, um, you know, 11 o'clock, I think 11 p.m. it started raining. And I think it pretty much just rained steady till about 6 a.m., and I'll be honest with you, I was pretty pretty panicked about how well that was going to be received. Um, I know, you know, we have several teams that's ran the Buck 50 for multiple years. So we've already kind of proven to them that we put on a good race experience and, and they're going to weather the storm, so to speak, literally. Mm-hmm. But then I'm thinking about these new people who've never ran in the Buck 50 and are they all of a sudden going to think this event is terrible because we had seven hours of rain? And fortunately, as the night went on, I was continually seeing updates on social media from all the different runners. And man, they just embraced it. The volunteers embraced it. It almost became, I think, um, it's difficult to say it was a better experience, but certainly people celebrated what was going on and made the best of it. It was definitely unique, and that's I finished. I think it was leg uh, thirteen, and that's when it had started to pour again. And I got back in the van, looked at the radar, and I was like, "This is going to be probably at least five straight hours of this." So, I mean, everyone just kind of buckled in. There was a point when we got almost to daybreak, and we were all taking off all of our wet clothes and everything in the van, and it 
there was definitely a funk to the van <laughs> because everyone's sweating. They're all muddy, running on the trails and whatnot, and out there squishing worms. It was uh, it was fun, and we just kind of laughed about it. We had one female on the team. She's like, I have two boys. I think I think she has two sons, and she's like. This smells. I, this smells horrible. <laughs> it's it's a it's a smell you can't replicate, nor do you want to. But when you see it, you're when you smell it, you're familiar with it. Right. We had fun with it, and honestly, once the sun came up the next morning, the sun came out. It was a beautiful day. We all kind of talked. We all looked at each other. and were like, either we've gotten really used to the smell, or it just went away because <laughs> we don't smell anymore. Granted, we were starting to drive with the windows down and whatnot. Um, so. Talk a little bit about the fundraising aspect as well, because that's kind of the unique thing with this race, too, is, I mean, you guys had the fundraising to start. You guys wanted to use the money for something and then came up with this race to do it. And it's such a great program. And you said that um, you've reached out to me and said that more schools keep reaching out to you for more funding for this, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're there's not too many races out there that don't have a charitable aspect to it um, where they're giving a percent of their proceeds to obviously worthy causes. Our world is filled with hundreds, thousands, if not millions of people in need out there. So it's neat to be able to bring people together in a health uh, and athletic experience to raise money for those causes. Uh, We're a little bit unique in the fact that we are um, responsible for 11 different high school chapters of the Drug-Free Clubs of America program. And so as many kids enroll in those schools each year, you know, we're on the hook to pay that bill, which, you know, averages close to about $120,000 a year for us. Um, Not a small amount of money for a, a grassroots event, but it's worked and it's worked well. And I could never be more thankful for the community uh, that rallies around and supports all those checkpoints um, but the program's pretty unique. You know, the kids take an initial drug test to join the club. It's all done on a voluntary basis. Uh, so it doesn't matter how athletic you are, how smart you are, how much money you have. You know, these kids come together in a very solemn moment to say, you know, we want to change our future. And we've seen the struggles of this drug epidemic. Many, you know, unfortunately, many of them have it in their families. And those are usually the first kids that step up and want to join because they want to do something different. The other thing that I've learned, Buck, and this is probably the, you know, kind of the heart-wrenching part is, you know, you, you hear about the problem. But until you hear a 16- or 17-year-old kid talk, you know, about losing a parent, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, sometimes all of those people have been erased from their family. And they start to find that other kids are going through this same thing. And that's one of the things that the club has done is open those doors of communication. And so those kids have found uh, some peace that this isn't just me going through this. This is other people. And we're going to work together to change the future. That's very moving. With that, I mean, I asked the rest of the team if they had any questions for you uh, since I was going to talk with you and then we're going to do kind of the group talk. Is Someone had mentioned, someone had asked, um, Andrew said, I'd love to know how the idea of the race came about, which we kind of talked about, and how they uh, brought the orchestration with so many moving parts and so many community buy-ins to life. Because there is, I mean, you, how many volunteers do you have for the race? Uh, there's about 400 uh, that help during the week and on race, you know, during the two days of the event. And I'm every volunteer I met was extremely helpful. And we talked about that in the van that 
they were all 100% there to help you, and the volunteers were fantastic. And granted that Chillicothe and the Ross County area, I mean, there has been in the news where they have this issue with opioids and other issues with that, with drug use. And it seems like the community wants to try to make sure that these youth are staying drug free. And I, you could kind of feel just the buy-in with that, with the community there and all your volunteers. Without, you know, you hit the nail on the head where, you know, we've been in the headlines and there's been a couple documentaries made about these missing women that were uh, part of this drug epidemic back in 2015, which is when I kind of really first started to learn about what was going on. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a recovering addict. I don't have any friends or family that have battled addiction, but it was, but it was pretty easy for me to understand that if we go upstream and we help the youth, we can change the future. And so that was kind of the mantra that we started with. And, you know, we just started going around to different civic groups, churches, businesses, really anyone who would listen to us and what we're trying to do and explain to them this prevention effort, explain to them how we were going to put on this crazy 150-mile relay race. And, you know, it was a lot, a lot of meetings. You know, we met with the sheriff. We we work with every different law enforcement agency in the county, the police, the highway patrol, ODNR officers, so it is a communication um, extravaganza that I uh, have going on throughout the year. But honestly, when we started seeking out volunteers to host these checkpoints, it happened pretty easy. They they pretty quickly stepped up, and I'll never forget the very first uh, volunteer meeting we had back in 2017. We explained to them what their job was. We had written instructions. We even had a checkpoint set up. Um, so they could see what this was going to look like as best we could. And my, my final instructions to these people were, look, we've spent a year and a half building this race. We've got at that time, first year, we had 38 teams coming to Chillicothe to participate. And I'm about to hand this whole entire race over to you. Don't screw it up. Like be nice <laughs> to these people, be kind, help them in and out of the checkpoint, um, know where they're supposed to go the next time. And Buck, they just knocked it out of the park. Um, I'll actually fast forward to this year, and I really kind of feel like that I've had it wrong for these last seven years. Like somewhere I've, you know, the, the runners are supporting the kids. Um, the kids, you know, everyone loves them. But I actually now believe and understand that the Buck 50 is about the volunteers because they're the ones who are encouraging people in the middle of the night. They're out there at all hours. They do so many things above and beyond that we never would have dreamed or anticipated with costumes or food or, you know, water. Uh, there's people playing music out there. There's cornhole boards. I mean, the way I've kind of sometimes tried to explain this is like, imagine your local, you know, five-mile race. Well, we put on 30 of those in two days and, you know, ultimately that becomes the buck 50 and it's a celebration of, you know, fitness and, and running. It's a celebration of, of supporting these kids. And it's, it's the celebration of a community who's fighting to do things better. And it, it does take this monumental effort of so many people to make it happen. What, how did you guys come up with the route? So my initial thoughts uh, actually, the very first plan that I had was to take the route 
from Chillicothe to Hawking Hills. You know, Hawking Hills is a very uh, unique area in Southern Ohio. And that seemed, that seemed pretty daunting or challenging. I also felt like that a point-to-point race creates some additional logistical challenges of having a start line and a finish line in two different areas. So then, you know, we, we went back to what we do most times and we started thinking about the kids. So, um, as we start in Chillicothe, it's, you know, we could think, well, we could work our way out to Adena High School. And then we could kind of work our way over to Kingston and, you know, go by Zane Trace High School. And, you know, we ultimately end up down there at Southeastern High School for Checkpoint 20. So those kind of quadrants of this circular course were some of those initial thoughts. And and then there was a whole lot of uh, plotting on Map My Run and a whole lot of driving of figuring out, does this really look right? Is right. it safe? Is there, you know, the checkpoints actually determine a lot of the routes because as you experience, a lot of this is pretty rural. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, checkpoint 15, the Walnut Creek campground, if that place doesn't exist, I have no idea where we're going to put two teams of van drivers and all that in the middle of the night. So thankfully they're willing to allow us to use their property and a uh, big supporter of the race since the inaugural year. Uh, What's the checkpoint right after that? I mean, it's literally a corner out in the middle of the cornfields. Oh, it is. People hate it. They do hate it. I love that one Uh, because you get in line. Yeah. At at first, you're like, man, I'm parked way back here. But the runners, you just slowly pull up one car at a time, one car at a time, and you jump in, and then you go. I love it. See, you get it, Buck. You get it. There's some people I talk to, and it's like they want to, and especially from the volunteer standpoint, they don't understand runners. Like, they don't understand how – um, crazy or ridiculous or how the rain doesn't matter to us. We're just going to go out there and do it anyway. Right. So, you know, to walk a couple hundred yards or whatever, that's no big deal. I mean, actually, that feels pretty good. That's a nice little stretch. So, you know, we have that little route where the vans go a different way and it kind of lines them up as they come into that intersection. Um, but it's, you know, it's in a, you know, the neat thing is with you guys being a five-person team is, is you got to see every checkpoint in every part of the course, uh, which really gives you a great feel of what this race entails. Yeah, you get to meet all the volunteers, too. The one, my favorite, well, I guess I shouldn't say favorite, but one of the ones that was kind of, I was unexpecting, or unexpecting this, is uh, was the gravel pit right before Scioto Trails. Checkpoint Charlie, I think is what they call it after the dog. If, yep. Is it Charlie? Yep. Yep, so that's hosted by Huntington High School, which has the uh, highest percentage of enrollment of our area schools. They have they average about 82% enrollment in wow. their school, which is, I mean, that's a number I never would have fathomed. Like, to me, yeah. the goal was always to have 50%. That's the majority. Um, but when they, you know, they did that in the first year, and they've been in the 70 80% range ever since. So they're definitely passionate um, in the township as, as they like to call in that area. Um, and Charlie is a therapy dog that is, um, Anita Rogers, who's a school counselor at Huntington. Uh, she's also on our buck 50 board. So she's very involved and, you know, she works her tail off. Um, it's a very celebrated checkpoint. It's a unique setting. Like you said, this gravel pit, all these elevators all over the place. Uh, Charlie, she hands out pins or buttons or different things with his, uh, picture on it, and they, they had a smorgasbord. 
Oh, yeah, they have a spread out there. Because you're supposed to, I mean, take your own water, nutrition, everything. And then they came over, they were like, do you want biscuits and gravy? I'm like, what do you mean? I thought they were, like, joking. But I was like, no, we, we, we have a whole... So I went over there, it, that was fantastic. That That's the part of the race that I never really dreamt of, is, you know, how engaged these people would be. You know, that that money's not coming from the buck 50. That that money's coming from these volunteers in some way, shape, form, or fashion to, you know, support these runners who are coming into this community uh, and ultimately supporting the community. So it's a really uh, win-win situation for everyone involved. And you mentioned music. When I was getting ready to run, we were all extremely sleep-deprived. This was about 3 a.m. I'm in the middle of Tar Hollow State Park up there, and it's pouring rain. I was supposed to be the navigator. I forgot to put in the navigation. I'm trying to run to the restroom real quick. The the volunteer said, hey, your runner's coming up like real quick. And I'm standing under the shelter. And there's a lady with a cello and a guy with a guitar standing in this shelter playing music at 3 a.m. in the pouring rain. I mean, it was, I was like, man, what a unique experience this is right now. Yeah, that's the that's the first Wesleyan church that does that, and uh, I feel like what they do for us in the middle of the night, um, they they'll have thirty or forty people that work that checkpoint. Um, they've had luminaries that are going down the road, you know, mile mile and a half. I think they start setting up at like noon on Friday. Um, first runners don't even get there till two a.m., but they'll have breakfast sandwiches and chocolate milk and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um my understanding is that's a regular conversation in the congregation of what we're doing this year and how can we help and how can we be involved and you know ultimately you know that's that's just pride that's just people who care about others and they want to showcase that and they do a wonderful job there yeah everything about the race was wonderful um Looking forward next year, do you are, are there any changes you guys have planned? Anything coming up? And how many teams can you get? And how many do we have this year? So this year we had eighty-seven teams. Uh, we've had as many as a hundred and six in pre-COVID uh, era. So my goal is to sell this race out at one hundred and fifty teams. That would be phenomenal for me to see. Uh, we actually set the course up this year to uh, kind of compact and press people together. So when I established, you know, people submit these pace projections um, for us to set up the starting times. And so purposefully, I worked to try to jam up the course and keep people as close together as possible to see what that was going to look like. Um we even had the weather delay and started 87 teams at the same time from five different checkpoints and it's still spread out. So, you know, that tells me that we have plenty of room to grow. Um, there's lots more teams we can add, but you know, ultimately with a 150 mile race, the goal is to get 250 teams. 150. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Buck 50, buck 50. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, when we originally, you know, that name comes from the fact that, um, I had mentioned I ran in a 200-mile relay race. Well, a 200-mile race usually takes somewhere between 24 to 36 hours for teams to complete that size of a course. And and I felt like that was too long of an event. I wanted to have like a day and a half. Um, definitely wanted people to have a three-day weekend, so take Friday off, come into town, uh, get started, 
And then we want to have everyone finished by about 6.30. So if they need to travel home that evening, stay in a hotel, whatever that is. Whoa, that scared me too. Got a quick lightning delay before we get back to the episode. And this is a great chance to hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. And that way you're notified when a new episode of Weathering the Run comes out, which is every other Wednesday morning. And maybe you know someone that this story could relate to. Share it with them. Maybe you got a great story yourself. Let me know about it. Weatheringtherun at gmail.com. Right now, back to the episode. So that's how we started to target this 150-mile distance, um, which ultimately became the name of a buck fifty for that distance. And the nice thing is, too, is that granted that you're breaking up the 150 miles, whether it be a five-person team like I did or a 10-person team, I mean, if you can run three times about five miles... It's accessible to pretty much anybody that can go out and run a 10K, just about a six-mile run. That's right. And that was part of the, you know, we felt like from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I look at it as I technically need to trick 87 people to have a team. And then it's up to that team captain to go recruit their teammates or members. But, you know... We've, you know, we're obviously supporting these kids, but there's been so many great stories of people who I know who never ran before. Um, Nathan Kaplinger, for instance, he's now the principal at Union Nota. He was at Huntington during that inaugural year. This guy never ran a race ever, never even ran a 5K. And the Buck 50 in 2017 was his first event, and he hasn't stopped running since. He's ran marathons, he's ran half marathons, he's done all kinds of trail races. Uh, Kevin Norman's the same way. Kevin never ran before. Um, and I hear multiple stories of that. Like once they kind of get tricked, as I like to say, and enjoy the running experience like we provide in a relay race atmosphere like this, they realize that, you know, running's not that bad. I, I actually enjoy it. And so that's led them on to other things. And I get inspired by stories like that too. The other the inspiration you just mentioned there is – when you're out there on a race all by your own, you're running a marathon, whatever it is, whatever your finish time is, that's up on you. But when you're doing this relay and you see your teammate, you pass them in the van because you're driving to the next checkpoint, you see them and they are giving everything they can for that five miles and they come in and they are just gassed. Like they, they ran that five miles or six miles as hard as they could. There is no other option than when they hand you that GPS tracker, you better, you just yeah. want to go out and haul too. Oh, there's, you know, I've seen people get pushed out of checkpoints as they're trading off, you know, you got to get going. Um, Nathan tells, uh, you know, I think of a story, he was going into checkpoint 14 one year, which is a pretty long straightaway into that checkpoint. And uh, he says he could hear the footsteps of what I call the freak show. These guys who are running, you know, six, seven minute miles, sometimes even five minutes. And this guy blows his doors off. And he's like, you're not going to do me like that. So all of a sudden he kicks it in and, you know, he's hauling for the last quarter mile with every ounce of energy he has. Uh, but to me, that's, that's the team concept. I, I feel like the buck 50 is a great metaphor for this whole epidemic is there's no silver bullets. There's no easy answers. Not one person is ever going to fix any of this, but you know, together as a group, um, we can all do our part and chip in and run our five miles. And ultimately, we'll get to that 150 number, which is the goal for every team. Love it. Dave, can't thank you enough for the time. I need to come back next year when it's a dry year because there's all these runners out there. And I know a bunch <laughs> of them. But when it's raining, everyone just gets back in their own cargo van. So I need to actually have more socialization next year. 
Yeah, it is a little bit different experience, and that was kind of the part I was worried about overnight as I was cruising the course. Um, you know, I'm up all night seeing, making sure everything go, is going well or adjusting or fixing any problems. But it is cool to see those checkpoints where this, you know, we kind of call it the Buck 50 family. And even though you're you're running on the B team, you'll run into people that you know from other teams, and you'll ask how things are going, how are you feeling, you know, that was a wild let, whatever that is. So uh, we definitely would love to have you and the B team back next year and uh, appreciate everything you've done for us. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Dave. All right. Have a great day, Buck. And again, that was the race director for the Buck 50 Relay Race, Dave Huggins. Thanks, Dave, for coming on, and we are going to switch gears up and talk to the B team now. This was the five-person relay team that I was on, uh, we ended up coming up in third place. We had no idea that we were doing that well during the race, but every time a runner came in, we just gave it our all for our next leg, and we did not know each other very much before the race. A couple of us kind of knew of each other, and so this was basically jumping in a white cargo van with a handful of random people that you have never met before or you kind of know, and we just had a blast. It was a lot of fun. This is the first time that we all got back together and just kind of talked about the race a little bit. So this is our kind of recap of all of our thoughts and things that we took away from the Buck 50 Relay Race. And I am joined now with the B team from the Buck 50 this year. And we'll go around the room here and uh, introduce ourselves. Kurt, we'll go Kurt, Tracy, Andrew, and Mike. So Kurt, go ahead. Yeah, my name's Kurt Keener. I've uh, been running for, I don't know, a couple decades, and uh, yeah, glad to be here. Hi, I'm Tracy Mahalik. Um, I've been running since, I used to run with my dad in high school, and now I'm in my 50s, so I've been running for several decades as well. But this is the very first time I've done uh, any events like this, so always good to try something new. Uh, I'm Andrew Waugh. Uh, I'm from I'm the uh, Southern contingent of the B team um, from Cincinnati, reporting in from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I uh, yeah I've been running um, races for about ten years. I did uh, my first half marathon ten years ago at the Cap City, um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, really cool to be a part of this relay team. Hello, I'm Michael Gamp. I started running whenever I was 30 years old, and I've been doing it for 24 years, so I'll let you do the math. You figure out how old I am. Uh, my first race, you know, kind of going back to what you know, some of the others said, was actually a neighborhood 5K. Uh, this is my second experience at the Buck 50, uh, the first experience with a five-person team. Yeah, for the five-person team, uh, the initial name, B-team, was from the initial runners. Mike and I were the first two in that group, but we had to kind of keep adding new people because of injuries or whatnot. And Mike, I think you would agree that the team that we ended up with, I mean, we had a stellar time out there. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, we ended, the team we ended up with ended up being the best team after all. And Tracy, you were the uh, you led us off there and... The big takeaway from this year was obviously just how wet it was, even the first leg. I mean, you had rain. What did you think of the entire event overall? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't even – it's so hard to just put it into words. I mean, it was just the most phenomenal, terrifying, exhilarating experience. I, I and mean, one of the my best experiences of my entire life. I'm serious. Like, there were moments in the van, you know, I remember the – it was – dark the middle of the night and like we would we, we heard the hail hitting the top of the van 
you know, the, the metal van. And I thought, Oh, poor Andrew was out there in that. And it was just like, it was the craziest thing. And I, I didn't tell my, you guys, my teammates, but like, I was literally terrified to go out there in the pouring rain in the, in the dark. And I did it. And I felt like, so, you know, accomplished when I conquered those fears, but it was, uh, it was something I'll never forget, and I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Andrew, what was it like running through the hail? I mean, you also were putting down some incredibly fast miles by the time we got to the next checkpoint, because I came after you. We were basically hop out, get going, because you were flying. Yeah. Um, you know, running in the hail, they, yeah, there were a couple of legs that had hail, but it, it wasn't too bad. It was, uh, you know, it, running um, running in the, in the rain is... It, it's really bad for me if it's really cold, but you know, the temps were pretty good for this race. I think when it started out, it was actually kind of hot and the rain felt good. So the hail that was coming down for a little bit, you know, melted immediately. Um, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was the question again? <laughs> you were just flying. I mean, every time we would check the GPS tracker, it was like, uh, well, we got to get ready. Andrew's coming in right now. Yeah. This was a tricky one to pace. Um, yeah, like how do you come up with a pace plan for where you're running six times and you're running like four to seven miles each of the time? You have, what you know, with our team, about three to four hours in between. So I don't know. I was kind of just trying to uh, find a pace that, you know, I was giving kind of like, you know, the best effort I could um, for that distance for that amount of time, knowing I would have some recovery in between, um, you know, time spent in the van, which really – in reality, you don't really get all that much downtime because, you know, we were sharing the driving duties and, you know, you got to eat, you got to get changed. And, you know, in the case with the rain, you know, we changed clothes and socks several times. At least I did. So, yeah, I, when uh, I did the interview with Ray, the race director, uh, he Ray, Dave, he said that I told him the story about how we had a weird funk in the van. <laughs> And it like it hit all at once, but then it seemed to have went away as the night went on, or we just got used to it. I don't know which which came out. What do you guys think? Uh, I think we got used to it. We must have. <laughs> just, I remember it was bad. And you guys were like, "Yeah, it's pretty funky." And I was like, "What happened?" Like it wasn't when I left. I ran my leg. I came back in, and it was. I mean, it hit you like a like a wall. It was so bad. <laughs> Mike, this was your uh, second experience. How was it different with a five-person team versus the 10? Um, I would go back and say, um, looking at the two years, what Andrew said, where there really wasn't a lot of time to rest or any downtime, that's the opposite with a 10-person team. I had more downtime than I did running time, so I napped a lot whenever we did the 10-person format. With the five, it was just one right after another. What about you, Kurt? What did you think this year? Well, yeah, this was my first experience ever doing anything like this. And uh, as Tracy mentioned, it's hard to put words on it. But for me, I, like, you know, there was a, I, my expectations were I was going to have time to nap, eat, you know, all that. But, yeah, you don't have that because your, your adrenaline's flowing. You're rooting everybody on. You're trying to get to the next place. And, you know, and then personally, I, I kind of went through this. You know, I started off the afternoon feeling really good. Well, it was evening by the time I ran, but felt pretty good. And then in the middle of the night, it, there was a couple times where the legs just really hit you. You know, you're not eating well and your stomach's getting upset. But boy, I tell you what, that next morning when it got warmer and the sun came out, 
the last two legs were just like phenomenal. It just felt intense. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it touched me in ways I can't even imagine. I never expected a race to be that, that deep and emotional. It was interesting too. Every time someone came in, they were, I mean, you could tell they were booking it. They were flying. They were putting this hundred percent effort into it. So it's impossible to get the GPS tracker at the handoff and to just kind of coast in. I mean, I, there were times I was like, man, I was like, especially at night, you could see people's flashing lights or the Knox gear. I was like, all right, got to run that person down, then try to get the next one. And for me, I think, uh, I don't know if the sleep deprivation hit a little bit harder because of that rain just lulling you to sleep on the top of the van. I know when we were in Tar Hollow, I was kind of, I was out of it because I forgot to put in the navigation. I had to go use the restroom last second. And then the volunteers are like, B team, your runner's coming up. I'm like, what? So that Tar Hollow was an interesting experience. And I, I don't know if you guys got out to see it. They had a, there was a little shelter and there were people up there. There was a lady playing a cello, a guy playing a guitar. They had like breakfast sandwiches and stuff. And it was like a church group that does it. But it was a, it was a weird little experience up there on the top of Tar Hollow. Any uh, weird experiences you guys have that you'll remember from this? Well, I I started some minor hallucinations. Honestly, I was you know at one point it was it was one of the, it was my leg that I ran around three a.m. and. I mean, I'm on this road and thankfully there weren't a lot of turns because I, I just kind of like, I thought I was on a beach running and it actually, you know, it's pouring down rain and the, it's coming sideways at me. And, and then I, I, you know, I kind of snap out of it and I realize I'm still on this road. And, and then I'm, I'm immediately like, oh my gosh, did I, am I going the right way? Did I, did I miss a turn? So I think that was definitely a result of the the constant rain and the, you know, the exhaustion and everything just all like hit at once. But I, I've never had anything quite like that happen either. So. Any other this, weird memories from you guys, Mike? Yeah. The, the, I don't know weird memory, but the memories that will stick with me, there's two that really stick out. Well, there's three. Uh, the first one is there's a, I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of loneliness that like looked any, more lonely, Tracy, than you in the middle of the night heading out on that road in the pouring rain in the dark. You know, we it's like we send you out. Here's our teammate going down the road in the dark <laughs> in the pouring rain down a lonely highway. And you're somewhere there's probably a song that captures that. It just doesn't come to mind. The second one was in Tar Hollow. It was, you know, I got turned around. I thought we were going the opposite direction than we were. We, you know, we got off course and we finally got back on course. And that was just a lonely, dark kind of otherworldly type of experience out there. Um, and we finally like got on back on track and then Buck, you came in and handed off to me. And then I went down what should have been like, I thought was an easy run and it was much harder than it should have been. But you know, I think it's just the combination of all the hours, all the rain, all the miles, and then the third one is at the very end, and Kurt, we're all standing down there at the finish line waiting on you, and you were booking it down there through Chillicothe, and the other team says, oh, he's going to run Kurt down. We're like, oh, no, he's not. <laughs> yeah, Kurt, you were cooking there. What about you? Any uh, unique memories you'll remember from this? Yeah, definitely the finish. I had no idea that that guy was behind me. I was just I was coming down the hill, and it was just like, yeah, I saw you guys at the finish, and just the sidewalks and everything – it was the whole 24 hours was just coming to a conclusion. And it's like, you know, like somebody said earlier, all of us were putting in 
every ounce of effort that we had. And so at that moment, I was like, I'm just, I don't care how bad it hurts. I'm just going to push every little bit that I have into it. And, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's just a moment I won't forget. Andrew. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it really, uh, kind of blew me away every time we would come into one of the transition areas, like how many excited and engaged volunteers were there, um, like pumping people up and, you know, like getting people going, um, as the runners were coming in and, and doing their exchanges. It was incredible, especially at night. Um, like several of the, uh, um, of the night aid stations would have like, um, like lights, either like tiki torch style or like luminaries set out and not like a few, you know, when you get to the aid station, like, you know, a half a mile long leading up to the, uh, the transitionary, you know, there'd just be these lights or there'd be signs of encouragement along the course. And, uh, so it, it really blew me away. Um, the community, uh, involvement and engagement with the event. And it, and it wasn't like it's a race where people are, you know, just fulfilling, uh, like volunteer hours, like they're required to do it. It's like, these people wanted to be there. Like they were excited to, it seemed like they were excited to have, um, these teams of people in their community running, you know, on their roads, uh, where they live for, for a cause that was important to them, which is really cool. I, I've done another relay style race. Um, it was, it was a, about 10 years ago. Um, and while it was a cool event, it did not have that level of, um, you know, buy-in from the local community. And I, and I think that made a huge difference. Yeah. I relayed that to Dave, that of all the volunteers out there were top notch and especially in the middle of the night. I mean, they probably don't want to be out there standing in the rain, but I mean, they were all there. Every single one was positive. I did not meet one negative volunteer when I was out there. So that was, that was phenomenal there. Um, so we obviously knew it was going to be a wet race for us. So the rain was going to be part of it. Are there any takeaways that you guys have anything that you would have done different knowing if you would have been running this again with it being as wet as it was since, I mean, since the podcast is weathering the run, any changes that you would have made? I made a mistake. Um, I was, you're thinking like, well, there's six legs. I'm running you know, 31 ish miles. That's not a big deal. It's raining. I run in the rain. That's not a big deal. But what it didn't occur to me until I was doing that fourth leg of mine coming out of Tar Hollow my feet had been wet for hours and they started, you know, kind of, you know, I've had any issues like I've been running a hundred mile or even though I hadn't run it, but I'm just sitting around the van without ever really doing a great job of getting my feet out of wet shoes and socks and putting them into some, you know, dry sliders or something like that. And so then for the last two legs, I kind of was just, you know, remediating and trying to make the problem for not getting any worse. And I didn't have any bad outcomes from it. But that's the number one thing I didn't, you know, really do a good job of is that, you know, I just, I would come in, but I just kept the same wet shoes on my feet. That was one big takeaway that I had at Great Seal State Park is that it was, that was a brief lull. That was my one leg where it wasn't raining. And there was a lot of fog in some of those valleys. So I was wearing my Knox gear. Thankfully, I had that on because it had the chest light. And when you're in the fog, if you have the headlamp on, all it does is bounce off that fog and you can't see the trail very well. And it got really thick, probably 30 or 40 feet visibility. So having the chest light or some sort of light lower that could go underneath the fog, that was a huge benefit that I didn't think about beforehand in the breaks between the rain. But in those state parks, there was definitely fog was an issue when I was there on those trails. 
What about well, the rest same, of you? The same at Great Seal. It's like, you know, I took out, I took the relay after you there, and I had the same thing. I had a headlamp, and while I was on the trail portion, most of the time I couldn't see anything. Yes, I was really glad to have the chest lamp versus the headlamp or both. I mean, the chest lamp makes a huge difference, I, I think, especially like you said in the fog. Definitely. And the, I brought enough clothes, but the only thing I didn't bring, I did not bring enough towels. I had, my towels were all wet by like, you know, we were only maybe two third, a third of the way into it. And I'm, I realized, you know what? I, um, I brought all three of my towels are soaked. <laughs> so that's probably my biggest mistake. But I also, I did start, I waited too long to change into dry socks, even though I had them. Um, but I saw Andrew doing it and he encouraged me to, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I know that'll feel good. And I, I did, and that did help, but yeah, it's, uh, everything was wet. And I, one takeaway that makes it's an image that I won't forget. It's just like our van, the inside we had soap because we did have so many outfits and towels and wet stuff. It just looked like an explosion happened. Like <laughs> stuff was everywhere. And do you remember when we, when we first, you know, okay, we're all organized. We're ready to go. It was so, it was so neat and organized and it's, it looked like an explosion very short, shortly after we started because of the rain, I think. We, we cleaned it up pretty well though afterwards having five of us in there. I mean, it only took a few minutes and we were like, all right, separate it all out. This oh, yeah. is what? Well, I think part, I think that was mainly, um, to your credit or who, or maybe, uh, Gamps, I don't know, whoever brought the tarp, the tarp was huge, right? Having the tarp underneath yeah. everything. So that made it clean up really easy. Got to remember that one. Kurt, yeah, Andrew, we were... what, are, what are your big memories with the rain? Any changes you would have done? Anything you learned? Yeah, I, I agree with Tracy. I, I should have brought uh, a couple more towels and then I was just, I had just enough outfits, but I probably should have packed just a little bit more. Um, definitely, uh, maybe you know, uh, more socks. But I do. I did have uh, extra socks and a pair of shoes, and I think it was the last or maybe the second to the last uh, leg that I did. I was like, "Yeah, let's just go ahead and switch over." And I was amazed at how well it felt. So definitely, next time I'll be more prepared and have you know better changes. I mean, most of the legs you ran shirtless, so at least that's one thing you didn't have to pack <laughs> yeah. too much of. Well, and that, that, you know, I did expect to do most of them that way, but once you get out in the, the cold, I mean, it's like, well, I'm doing this all night, so i got to conserve my energy a little bit. So it takes a lot of energy to go shirtless all the time. <laughs> Andrew? Uh, I would have, um, I guess, maybe brought a, a way to hang up some dry stuff that we wouldn't we needed to reuse. Like, I only brought one rain jacket. And uh, so I would, you know, it would get soaked and I would sweat in it. So it'd be wet on the inside too. And I wouldn't really have a great way of letting it kind of air out um, in the van. Like we, we ended up finding like, you know, we could in the top of the rented uh, van, you know, there, there were some like metal beams that you could kind of drape it over, but it wasn't really a great solution. It couldn't air out too well. So maybe, you know, I did, I guess I wasn't thinking about it raining for almost the entire duration of the relay, you know, yeah. to, to plan that way. Paracord um, yeah, next yeah. time. And not just yeah. raining, pouring the yeah. rain. Yeah. It, it wasn't just a drizzle. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I think and when I, you started at Great Seal Gamp, I looked at the radar and I said, this is probably going to be persistent for the next five, six hours. And everyone kind of got the picture. What were we saying there, Andrew? Oh, I was, I was going to say, um, I, and I think I would have brought, uh, my coworker sells the stuff called Sensi, or I would have brought some Febreze <laughs> or something to help mitigate, mitigate the, uh, you know, humid stench that was kind of mm-hmm. building up in there. But, A lot of candles next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any other big takeaways from you guys before we let you go? Well, it was for me, it was one of these things like, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. This is awful. Yes, I can't wait to do it again. You know, it was, that's, a, it's almost the same exact takeaway as I remember my first marathon. I, I was horrified and uh, just exhausted and like, I'll never do this again. And literally, like, seconds afterwards, I was, just like I, I this is the best thing of my life so yeah it was extreme and, and awesome oh i agree it's like you're know, thinking back on the event your know, comments that others here have already shared this evening the support of the community the organization the calls the five of us all coming together as a team you know we did kind of divide up the um the legs to try to you know assign the legs that played each one of our strengths but we all went out there and you you know as you know it's been mentioned before, every single leg, everyone gave it a hundred percent. And really, you know, if I look at running, you know, that's the best you can get. And the finish time is just an outcome. It doesn't matter. But like you know, everyone giving all they can give is the best finish you can have. And I can look back and say our team of five, you know, if we did the best we could do, and what more would you look for? Yeah, I agree with Mike. Um, I think having the, you know, not just having your own result on the line, but having the result of like the whole, whole team on the line, like knowing that, Hey, I got to give my best here, not just for me, but you know, for, cause everybody else is giving their best on my team. So, you know, like, I don't want to let them down. I don't, I don't want to let my teammates down. So that was, uh, that was good encouragement. And it was very motivational to me. You know, you know, I didn't know how we were going to finish, but as the night went on and as we're watching the GPS on the app, I would see our number getting closer and closer to the front. And it's like, Whoa, this is really cool. We're really putting it out there. So, I mean, that was, that was really motivational to me that like Mike said, we're all giving it. And yeah, it was definitely, it was the outcome that I was hoping for. Yeah. The GPS tracker was nice. I mean, Mike, you did it last year when there was not the GPS tracker and you would basically just have to be there at the checkpoint ready to go. Yes, just kind of guessing, and, and imagine this pasture with that driving rain. You, we would be standing out there, just waiting, wondering whenever our runners going to come in. So that was a huge improvement that the race director and the, that they did in that organization. He did say he was a little concerned because, like you said, you would stand out there, and it's more of a social event when you have everybody out there waiting. But with the rain, he said he was really afraid that there would be a lot of teams that. We're just having a bad experience, but he said he got online, social media, and everyone was just responding with just positive like feedback and just how much fun they're having, even though it's raining outside. So <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll see. Uh, we'll probably be back next year, potentially with a name change. <laughs> we got to see how all of our letters line up to see if we can come up with some sort of acronym or something. Cool. Well, thank you guys very much for jumping on here and uh, kind of sharing your thoughts from the Buck Fifty from uh, 2023 this year. It was great. Thank you. Thanks.
Well, if you're ever in Ohio in April and you're looking for a fun race, this is one that I highly, highly recommend, especially if you can come up with a handful of friends. It's a memorable experience. For everyone that's left a review of the podcast so far, thank you so much. It definitely helps to get things started and off the ground. And if you haven't done so yet, it only takes about 60 seconds or so to leave a quick review, and it is very helpful. Got a lot of stuff planned in the works. Stick around. See you out there on the trail.